You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's Sunday night. The social club is back and we are live. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show one of our regular panellists. He's a Spurs fan. Hopefully that doesn't put you off, but I like to think uh, he's quite honest in his opinions. Welcome back to the channel. And it, this is the perfect time to get a Spurs fan on, by the way. Uh, welcome back to the channel, Mr. Dan DeLuca. How are you, sir? Yeah, I wondered why you invited me on this week, to be fair. Yeah, the, tr- I, the truth. The truth comes out. Yeah, I thought long and hard about it, and then I thought, yeah, God, do it to him because it was Patrick Vieira. If it was like Graham Potter, I wouldn't have bothered. But the Patrick Vieira factor really swayed me here. I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. How are you anyway? First of all, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Enjoying the the last weekend of a the last weekend of summer. Kick off of a, a Spurs midday kickoff, and then uh, onwards and upwards from there, I suppose. <laughs> let's say uh, some hellos to uh, people in the live chat to nikki uh, to bad boy to marky to marshall to josh uh, to arjit to yared hope you're all well and to everybody else watching this later on or listening to this back via the audio platforms we hope you are all well for our new subscribers because we've gained a fair few over the summer the social club which is what this is is the show where we discuss arsenal but we also talk about some other topics as well. And that is why over the course of the season, you'll see Dan DeLuca, you'll see Simon Alavi and various other guests who aren't necessarily or definitely aren't of an Arsenal persuasion. That way we get a broader view on our own team, but we also get to talk about other bits and pieces too. So on tonight's live show, we are going to be discussing a variety of topics. We're going to be discussing Arsenal's victory over Norwich City. Can Mikel Arteta still turn it around at the Emirates Stadium? We're going to be talking about our old mate, mate Paddy Vieira and his win over Tottenham Hotspur. We'll get some insight on Crystal Palace and from a Tottenham perspective from Dan. And we'll also be talking about the phenomenon that is Cristiano Ronaldo. So plenty to get into tonight. We're going to start with Arsenal's win over Norwich. Now, if you haven't checked it out already, we did a post-match podcast on Saturday evening and we put out the tactical analysis show this morning where we highlighted some of the differences uh, from the first three games so you can get an idea of of what I felt that Mikel Arteta changed, tweaked, what some of the new players brought to the team. And um, yeah, if you want in-depth analysis, then that's the place to go. So check that one out. It's the last video on the channel and it's the last podcast in the feed. Uh, But Dan, Arsenal winning 1-0. Lots of Arsenal fans were pleased by what they saw. Arsenal having 30 shots on goal for the first time since December 2017 in the Premier League, which tells you that, you know, we've been complaining about creating chances and that has been a problem, but nobody could really say that was an issue yesterday. Okay, we didn't convert as many as we'd like. We saw lots of new players come into the team. We saw a back four that was almost completely different. Different goalkeeper. Three of the back line were completely different. Lekonga in midfield alongside Maitland-Niles. Thomas Partey was brought on in the second half. I'm not saying Arsenal fans should be getting carried away 
because it is a victory over the team I regard to be probably the worst team in the league. But is there still a chance from, from someone looking from the outside in, is there still a chance in your opinion that Mikel Arteta with his new look squad, if he can keep them fit, if he can get them going, that he can potentially still turn this situation around? I, th- I think that's a question for for Arsenal fans. What what would I accept this season? Because I think I think the issue Arteta's got. So obviously speaking to you regularly about Arsenal Arsenal's plight, I, I'm always of a view that you know three games is is very inconsequential. You shouldn't accept defeats to opponents just because they're Manchester City and Chelsea, but they are defeats that if you're pragmatic about it, you'll be more you'll be more annoyed with the performances than results. So. The weekend just gone, you needed a performance, not not a scoreline. One one nil one nil is as good as as good as five nil in a game like in a game like this week, and and you got that. I think the issue Mark Mikel Arteta's got is, is in the majority of Arsenal fans' minds and, and the Arsenal fans I, I speak to, Arsenal are probably two years behind where they hope they'd be at this stage. So realistically, I think the ceiling that Mikel Arteta can achieve this season. Is perhaps still below what some Arsenal fans reasonably or unreasonably expect of him, and it's how that is how that dynamic plays out over 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 next summer. I, I was kind of of the view after the first three games that the Brentford game I think was unfortunate. The timing of it, the Friday night under the lights, the new stadium, a promoted side, the stuff preseason, everything that could possibly have gone wrong for Arsenal for that game went wrong, and then the next two games, yeah, there was there were poor displays there. But I was looking ahead to the next six fixtures where you see Norwich come in, um, Burnley, then it's Tottenham, which, you know, you almost always beat Tottenham at home. So they, they, I think there's five or six winnable games. And even four or five wins out of those five or six, Arsenal are going to be propelled back up the right side of the table. Suddenly everyone's in a good mood again. And then you kick on from that. So I, I think Arsenal and Arteta can achieve something this season that resembles where they should be. Is that going to be enough? Where's where's that in your opinion, though? In my opinion, it's it, it's sixth. I think I think I think it's sixth. I think fifth would be fifth would be a good season for Arsenal. I think for the last five years we've had talks of the top six. It used to be a top four, then it was a top six. Now the reality is whether Spurs fans like it or not, whether Arsenal fans like it or not, it's a top four again. For the last two seasons. It's been those four teams. That's the first time since 2010 you've had the same top four two seasons in a row. And we're four games into the new season. And those are the four teams occupying the top four places already. Um, that's how it is. So, you know, fifth, uh, finishing above Leicester, finishing above Tottenham would represent a good season for Arsenal, in my opinion, given, given the way things have been going, the transfer window players come in but they're not players you'd look at and say well they're going to improve us immediately and you want to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo later I'm not saying Arsenal should or can buy Cristiano Ronaldo but other players have bought other teams have bought players in um whether it's last season a couple or or three of the four this summer where you know they're going to come in you know they're going to hit the ground running now um Arsenal aren't really in that space so I think if Arsenal think finish sixth I think that would represent good I think seventh would be bad I think fifth would be would be very good. And I think that's where, where Arsenal are. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've said that if Arsenal finish in the top six, that would be a good season 
given the landscape because i think i get this thing like where i get frustrated with people because it feels like people are, are so sometimes narrow-minded that they don't see the landscape and the bigger picture and that liverpool are a team who have been developed over a number of years who won the league by a country mile the season before last therefore they're still a league above us Chelsea and Manchester City are completely different animals and as you've seen with Manchester United in the transfer window this summer they too still have a huge pulling power and incredibly deep pockets and you know it's, it's impossible almost for our clubs I think to expect to compete with those sides. Yeah, when you play them in, in your fixtures, you want to compete. But it's not. I, I don't think that it's realistic to say Arsenal or Spurs can can finish in the top four this season or should finish no, in the top I, four. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it's realistic. I mean, you asked me that you asked me the question in the context of Mikel Arteta. Is mm. what can Mikel Arteta do? Now, if we want to have an argument as to whether Arsenal and Tottenham can or should be able to compete or compete more than they do, I think that's a different argument and I think more people will get emotional about it and they'll be saying, well, we should be competing. We should be doing this. We should be buying that. We shouldn't have one striker. We shouldn't We shouldn't have no defensive central midfielders or in Arsenal's case, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have to play like, you know, Cedric at right back with the greatest respect. If people want to have those arguments, I, I mean, I'd listen to those and I'd say over the course of three or four seasons, if you've got a point. For Arteta, it's what can he do with the squad he's got? And I think the point I made earlier. I mean, obviously, I think it's a valid point because it's my point. But the fact he, he's probably behind, he's probably behind where he should be by now. And a lot of Arsenal fans, which is their right, aren't necessarily going to overlook that. Do I think Arteta is going to end his Arsenal career having been a successful manager at Arsenal Football Club? I, I'm not entirely convinced. I think the first two years have been far too bumpy, and we don't live in a world where bumpiness is, is really tolerated. Um, when when you're a big club, um, and, and but I guess just to finish this point off in terms of where I said sixth, fifth, good season, there has to be some middle ground somewhere. So if Arsenal finish fourth, it would be an absolutely exceptional season. So by the same definition, the fifth can't be terrible. You know there has to be there has to be yeah. a par expectation, and and I think there are teams to compete with um, for fifth place. Um, Top top number one, maybe. Leicester are certainly one. They've finished fifth the last two seasons. West Ham may or may not be able to carry this momentum over for another season. Not seen a lot of Everton yet. But there, there are it's not a top six anymore. And that's what I think we need to accept very quickly. And the sooner that's accepted, the sooner people can can move forward. There are a lot of clubs um in and around fifth to eighth who have the capability of of of, of putting together decent seasons. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is one of those situations that, you know, as as fans of our clubs, we don't want to be in, but we have to be realistic about it, I think. And look, for me, I I got a lot of criticism yesterday on, on social media from people telling me that I'd, you know, that I was delighted with the fact that we'd beaten Norwich at home. And that was absolutely not the case. I wasn't saying that Arsenal were going to push on and qualify for the Champions League. Off the back of that, I was simply saying that, there were positives to take away from that game in terms of some aspects of our performance. It is a win. We're off the mark. We scored a goal, albeit a scrappy tap-in uh, from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But I just think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is a prime example of a top-quality player that Arsenal have at the football club that they're not necessarily getting the maximum out of at this moment in time, or haven't been anyway. 
over the last 12 months. And you know, Dan, from looking at your team, if you've got a centre forward that scores as regularly as Harry Kane does, or as regularly as Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang did in his first couple of seasons here in England, that can make a massive difference. That can earn you enough points to make the difference between achieving your objectives and not achieving your objectives. So looking at Aubameyang, why do you think it is that he struggled? Would you put it down to Mikel Arteta's tactics? Do you think Aubameyang's not been there in terms of his mindset? Because we are starting to see signs now that he's... Yeah, so I think I think it was like there was a few things that happened last season to Aubameyang particularly, um, and the start of the season when he was moved out to the left wing for whatever reason last season it didn't work. I know it's worked before. I know he's played there well in the past. The start of the season didn't work. Um, that momentum was lost. Then there was a whole load of other stuff. Uh, this people often say, well, professional footballers should be able to handle this. They should be able to handle that. The fact is, you know, some of us might have played at a reasonable standard, um, but we've never been a professional footballer at that level. Um, we don't know how the lack of fans affected certain players. We don't know how they affected certain teams. We don't know what it takes to drag a player out of form, um, back into form and all that sort of stuff. So last season, I think Abamyang had excuses, and then he had two separate personal situations in the same season. Um, they're obviously in the past, it's a big season for him. He's he's obviously in his 30s now, which is about the sort of age in the Premier League where where most players start to start to wind down. There's not there's not many in their 30s who who, you know, cut it week in, week out. Let's look at big names. Big, big, big names. Rooney beyond 30 struggled. Steven Gerrard beyond 30 struggled. You know, Lampard didn't, company didn't. But there's not there's not millions. <clears throat> so there's a whole load of factors coming together. And I think Mikel Arteta has worked this out for him to get over this this elongated blip that he's he's suffering. He has to work out how to get the best out of that man. Because he is Arsenal's best player. There's no, yeah. there's no there's no alternatives. There's no messing about. There's no talking tactics, formations. I'm not interested. He's Arsenal's best player. And like you said, if your goal scorer is scoring one goal a game, you've got half a chance, haven't you? Um, and yesterday, and what I think pleased you and what you was alluding to at the beginning, when you talked about shots, there's a difference between a shot and a chance, obviously. But Arsenal created chances. Aubameyang missed chances. They created enough chances for him to score the goal they needed. And against most opposition in the league at home, that's going to be enough. And that's where that's where Mark, Mikel Arteta seems to have this season so far with the way he's, well, the two games that Arteta, um, Aubameyang's been available. He's set his team up to try and work out how to get the best out of Aubameyang. And I think that's, um, that's going to be absolutely critical for him. I mean, look, he's still a top five striker in the Premier League. For yeah. sure. There's no, there's no, there's no arguments there. So I think if I'm Mikel Arteta now, it's easy to, especially Mikel Arteta, you can hear the way he speaks, you can, you can see the way he wants to go. It's easy on paper. I think he's worked out the hard way that actually delivering is different, is a lot different to theory. And I think all these kind of clever ways of, well, if Laka scores from here and Aubameyang chips in from there and Pe chips in from there, that in practice that hasn't worked. So now it's how do I get my main man scoring? And then actually the onus is on the other players to step up and chip in when needed. And I do think Arsenal can go on a run. 
um, over the next six games. I, I, I really do. I mean, uh, I shouldn't say this out loud. Obviously, I, I hope that run isn't too successful. But I, I don't mind. A, I don't mind a little bit of competition. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess it's after that. What's really important is how is that run then taken into the more difficult games. Um, there's the benefits as well, particularly for Bamiyang and, and like we was talking in his thirties, um, not having that European football, he might be a player who benefits from that um, as point. well. And, and, it, and it, there might be, there might be some benefit, but I think what I'm saying to you, all, whether you listen to me or not, cause I'm a Spurs fan is up to you, but I wouldn't hit the panic button in terms of your season. I wouldn't be having silly conversations that people are having. Like we're going to finish bottom half. We're in a relegation battle and all sorts of nonsense like that. What, what Arsenal are at the minute is a very, very inconsistent side. And when you're inconsistent, if things fall apart very, very quickly and you don't know what sort of day you're going to get, especially away from home. And I think the, the key to unlocking that is working out the best way to to get a Bamiyang chances, whatever that whatever that may whatever that may look like. Yeah. And and although I mentioned the point a little bit earlier on about how the landscape has changed and how it's become a lot more difficult because there are so many more competitive sides than there were in years gone by. We were having this conversation actually in on the drive home from the Emirates yesterday, and we were talking about how Arsene Wenger used to do it and how Arsene Wenger used to maintain this, this standard of at least being in the Champions League, you know, right up until the last couple of seasons. And we talked about the fact that there were times where we had really bang average teams on paper, players like Danielson, Squilatri, you know, uh, we signed Matteo Debushi. You know, we, we had some really poor players at certain points. But Arsene Wenger always had one or two, probably two, sometimes three, really top draw players. It was Sanchez and Ozil. It was Van Persie and Fabregas. It was Nasri at certain points. It was, he always had a couple of really top difference makers that could kind of, that you could rely on most times out of 10 kind of to get you over the line. And that's what Wenger did really well. And now maybe Arteta needs to go back to basics a little bit and say, yes, I want to play in a certain way. Yes, I want to put my tactical stamp on this team. But actually, football isn't always that complicated. Find a way of getting the best out of your best. And more often than not, that will get you over the line, especially against the weaker Yeah, it, w- it will. And again, it will get you to a point. Now, Mourinho tried to do that last year with Tottenham. He worked out very quickly that, Harry Kane is a ridiculous footballer, whether you play him at number nine or number 10 or both at the same time. And he works out Son wasn't bad either. And that was his entire setup. Mm. It works to it works to a certain point. If the fans think... Now, the difference with Mourinho, clearly, was the entertainment levels were were, were pretty diabolical and then, and then the fans aren't going to tolerate that. But it, it, it's got to be in line with what the fans are prepared to accept. And I, I guess my biggest worry for Arsenal and Arteta is... It's now his second full season and he shouldn't be here. He yeah. shouldn't be here. He, he should be building off a platform where, you know, we may we may well and rightly so, in my opinion, I, I don't mind saying this. We may well take a little a little jibe at the Europa Conference League because of what UEFA have done to it for reasons I still can't understand. But Arsenal should be playing European football. They should have a platform to build off. They should be able to... to try different things in those sort of games where they need to give players minutes who need minutes in those sort of games who might be needed later in the season and, and all that sort of stuff. They're not. Um, if you wait for a change of competition, it'd still be the Euro- Euro- Europa Cup or whatever it was fucking called. 
been in it enough, I should know. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, the point is, in the eyes of Arsenal fans who have not been happy with what they're seeing, and I completely get it and I completely understand, and I wouldn't be happy with what Mikel Arteta has served up so far. Are they in a place now where they're going to say, OK, well, we're happy just finishing sixth? And if they're not, there's, there's going to be big problems because Mikel Arteta, he promised, he promised a lot. He he got the dream. He got the dream start with the FA Cup in the bag. There was lots of talks about Champions League in three years, and a bit like a you know a, a promoted club says, "It's like oh, we've got a five year plan to get in the Champions League." Yeah, so is, so is everyone else. Um, and I, and I just feel that's the biggest that's the biggest struggle. And every time there's a setback, Arsenal fans tend to react a lot worse than. Perhaps other clubs do. And I think the reason for that is we're now three years into a three-year journey and it feels like the journey's just beginning again. You you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. And I get it. I understand the frustration. I really, really do. I think you're right. I think that we do have a fan base that in general overreacts more than others. I don't know if part of that or part of why I see it like that is because I'm so close to it that it's just there all the time. But when you hear fans of other clubs like yourself bringing it up, it, it kind of makes you feel like, yeah, that is the case and it is true. And that is how everybody else sees us. Just before uh, we move on, um, just want to say, uh, this is a great point from Sai when we were talking about Aubameyang. It's a great point to those people who say that, you know, Arteta has killed off Aubameyang and he's ruined him. Oba's form dropped off after he re-signed that contract, not when Arteta took over. Really good point and a valid one. Um we're going to take. Think, some... I think. I think, I think it's, it's it's almost a valid. It's almost a valid point. It's all the, the guy there's got a choice as to what he attributes to drop that that drop off to, because he's absolutely right. It didn't drop off when Arteta took over. In fact, it lifted up when Arteta took over almost immediately, almost instantly, and carried over to Wembley. In in yeah. two consecutive games and one Arsenal FA Cup almost single handedly with 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 respect to the rest of the team, he scored he scored four goals out of four. Then he signed the contract, but actually, it was a new season. Yeah, the season ended, yeah. and then he for, then he went away for preseason, and then he came back, and then some of the things I discussed earlier happened. So, yeah, coincidentally, he, he you know he signed his three hundred k a week contract at that time, but you know I'm not being being funny, but he was driving whatever he wanted to drive before that 300 grand. I don't see how that's made any difference to him as a, as a personality. He doesn't strike me as a sort of player who's going to get his big move and, and then stop trying. Ozil completely, completely get that. In Ozil's case, it was, I want to get my big, my big contract and make a point to my critics and, and then I'll stop putting in the hours. I don't think that's the case with Aubameyang. I, I think he, he, everything coincided at once and he had a, a really frustrating start to the season. Um, playing in front of empty fans away from home and all that sort of stuff. And I think it was just a coincidental timing thing with a contract. Clearly, I could be wrong, but that's that's my view in that case. Fair play, fair play. Uh, there's currently over a couple of hundred of you watching us live at the moment across the multiple platforms. So if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. It really, really does help. Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. We're approaching 16,500 subscribers on YouTube alone. And while I'm at it, I want to say a massive thank you to those of you who listen to us via the audio platforms, because in consecutive months now, we've hit over 100,000 downloads on the audio platform alone, which is fantastic. Uh, so thank you for you guys' support. And I promise we'll get to some questions a little bit later on. But now 
I'm going to take this out of Dan a little bit because our man, our hero, Patrick Vieira, masterminded Crystal Palace's thumping of Tottenham Hotspur. Dan will probably feel like I've uh, over-exaggerated it the way I've spoken about it, but we have to call it a thumping. It was against Spurs. It was 3-0. Spurs were supposedly going to win the league last week. So for them to go to Crystal Palace and, and get beaten quite heavily the way they did uh, was obviously something that we really enjoyed. And I was walking past the Tollington pub going towards the Emirates Stadium as the second goal went in from Crystal Palace. And I knew instantly when I heard the cheers uh, what had happened. Um, Dan, I don't want to go too deep into Tottenham because I actually don't think that Tottenham are are in a crisis or anything like that. You know, they've, they've won their first three games. Uh, they've done brilliantly well. Nuno Espirito Santo, I think, is a good fit for Tottenham. Um, you know, they had players missing yesterday. I, I messaged you, I think, what a terrible midfield I thought that was. Was it Hoiberg, Winks and Skip, was it? I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's poor in my opinion. But tell us a little bit about the game, a little bit about Crystal Palace, because Patrick Vieira is someone that even myself has said, I don't think he's going to be a good manager. I don't think he's going to be a hit in the Premier League. And I'm not saying that he is already because it's very early days. But, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw from Palace yesterday. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing I want to say is the only thing is cheered me up knowing that the the um the what's the word the punters at the Tollington pub cheered a Crystal Palace goal this season before an <laughs> Arsenal before an Arsenal one um, <laughs> four game four games in they're saying to cheer about so I'm well glad we could, I'm well glad we, glad we could contribute to that in some way um, yeah I said earlier you shouldn't overreact with the beat with, with defeats I overreacted on Saturday afternoon I was absolutely fuming. Um, but yeah, Crystal Palace, Patrick Vieira. Um, it it was um, a midfield display that I would expect from Patrick Vieira, uh, without knowing anything about his coaching style. His midfield did exactly what I expected a Patrick Vieira midfield would do. Everything I imagined Patrick Vieira to be as a manager, that that midfield did that. Swarming, hungry, busy winning tackles, winning second tackles, aggressive. So he's implemented his stamp on that midfield. I think Crystal Palace in seasons past have been energetic um, in, in, the, in the middle at least. Or I think in the last couple of years of um, Roy Hodgson's reign, it, it kind of slackened off a little bit. And I think that relationship had gone a little bit flat. Um, again, similar to what, what I was saying with um, with, with Aubameyang there, the best player is Wilf Sahar. They worked out how to get the the ball to Zahar as often as they could in dangerous areas. And, you know, at times in the game, he caused caused havoc. Um, I did watch Crystal Palace on the first game of the season against Chelsea. I watched watched the whole 90 minutes of that game. And whilst it was a tough assignment, I wasn't wasn't too impressed. But having seen the, you know, the the steps that have been made in in those few short weeks, it's obviously been encouraging. For a Crystal Palace fan, I think you've got a new striker comes in. He bags a couple of goals, irrespective of the state of the game at that time and and whether the opponents are, are having a shocker and have got ten men. It, there's nothing better than a new striker popping up early. So, you know, they'll they'll be absolutely buzzing. I think I think there are some players that when they retire, you get a feeling that they will have a decent managerial career. Um, so, for example. I was pretty convinced it hasn't happened yet. I was pretty convinced that Frank Lampard would have a decent managerial career. I was pretty convinced that Wayne Rooney wouldn't. 
just the type of players <laughs> or, the, <clears throat> the way the way they conduct themselves on the pitch you know the way they the way they play the way they lead their style of play uh, an intelligent footballer is what i'm looking for in terms of of a manager not a, not not a good footballer and you see too many ex footballers who were good players completely flop as a manager and it's because it's a it, it's it's a different skill to you got to play for other people not just yourself and i i think i think Vieira is is going to do well um he's well he spent quite a bit of time doing doing what he's done at man city i know that seems to get you any job you want these days as, as we see but i think if i asked you guys before arteta took over three years ago with the 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 similarity being they're both ex-arsenal players one was a proper legend and one was probably a pretend legend if i'm honest but they're, they're both played I, for wouldn't, arsenal. I wouldn't even say he was a pretend <coughs> legend to be honest yeah hey yeah, captain an fa cup winner he probably gets a he probably gets it because you've won so many FA Cups. You're allowed to leave some behind. Fair play, but um, <laughs> if, if someone said to you three years ago, which one of these two would you rather be your manager? I think I think ninety percent of people would have said would have said Patrick Vieira, wouldn't they? So I would have said Patrick Vieira if you're asking me which person I wanted to come back to the club. But I've got to be honest because I, I would be a hypocrite if I if I didn't own up to this. I've not massively been convinced by Patrick Vieira in the jobs he's done previously. So I know he done okay as a coach at Manchester City. He went to New York City. I didn't really judge him on that because I think the level is just completely different. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really rate him during his time at Nice in France. And I did pay particular attention to Patrick Vieira for quite a long period of time during that role because I was kind of one of those people that was like, I want to see the romantic thing. I want to see Patrick Vieira come back to Arsenal and take over and, and guide us back to glory. But I never really saw that from him. And even when he got the Palace job, I was like, well, that's fantastic. Like, you know, I've got a, a bit of a soft spot for Crystal Palace. And I was like, well, it's the perfect fit. You know, Patrick Vieira comes there. Brilliant. But he's still got to prove it to me. But if he does, then, you know, of course, I'd welcome I him with open arms. I, think, I know they've, take, they've taken similar sort of routes, right? Patrick Vieira and Cherry Henry. As managers, they've taken similar routes. So one's gone over to America, they've had a little stint in France doing whatever they were doing, a little bit of coaching, um, a little bit of coaching at other clubs. And if Thierry Henry took the Crystal Palace job, I'd have been absolutely shocked. And I wasn't when it was Patrick Vieira. And, and I, I guess it links back to what I was saying about just being a good footballer like Thierry Henry was doesn't mean you're going to be a good manager. But being an intelligent footballer means you are and and i kind of feel like i i kind of you got a fan um i i kind of no wonder put that one up look it's the first good comment of the day um so um i i kind of feel like patrick vieira should work as a manager uh, i'm kind of expecting that if i'm a player and i turn up in a dressing room and i got patrick vieira telling me telling me what to do i kind of believe him and i do what he says and i think it, in modern day management i think that's a lot more important than it's ever been I think I think we we live in an era where players won't do what they're told unless they believe what they're being told now. Whereas in the eighties, nineties, you do what the manager says and 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 you crack on with it. And I just think having that presence in Crystal Palace's dressing room is going to be absolutely massive for them. And I think in previous years, I've looked at Palace and they've been in my list of five teams. That I think well, they could go down there. You know, they they could go down. They've got one player. Um, he only really gets ten goals a season if he's lucky, and then, and then, and then unless 
you know, unless someone chips in from somewhere or Benteke scores five goals instead of four one season, you know. Um, or Milovic scores seven penalties or something. Yeah, like they get eight penalties. He didn't take the penalty yesterday. I mean, he just come on as well. Um, he had just come on. I'm sure he just come on and um, he, he didn't take it. But yeah, it's a shame because he missed a couple recently. Um, but but yeah, no, I think Vieira's going to do all right to, to cut a long story short. Uh, I think obviously he was a, an absolutely exceptional, exceptional footballer. One of the, one of the top, 10 players a Premier League's ever seen. Uh, 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 got no issue, no issue saying that and offering that opinion whatsoever. And, and, um, you know, after the first, the first day against Chelsea where they got absolutely rolled over to turn that around and, str- and string three, um, three results in a row, three undefeated results, including a comeback against Inform West Ham. Yeah. Um, I, I think Palace fans will be absolutely delighted with, with what they've seen. Yeah. No, encouraging signs. And as always, we wish Patrick Vieira all the best. Uh, let's move on to uh, the man of the weekend because everybody was talking about this guy. Everybody was talking about his comeback. Cristiano Ronaldo returned to Manchester United. Now, first of all, there's been a lot of debate about this signing somehow. I, I don't understand why it is a debate because I still think that Cristiano Ronaldo is one of, if not the best player in the world. So, Picking him up for 20-odd million or whatever it was felt like a no-brainer from Manchester United's perspective, in my personal view. But there were a lot of people out there that were a little bit sceptical about it, that were saying, oh, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to block the development of Mason Greenwood and he's going to block the development of Marcus Rashford and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And it might change the way that Manchester United play. My view is very much that Cristiano Ronaldo joining Manchester United takes them from a place where they were, in my opinion, never competing for the title to a place where they could. I still think they'll fall short because I still think City and Chelsea are stronger. But how much does the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo and his return to Manchester United, in your opinion, Dan, elevate their level? Yeah, it does. It does. Because he's going to win them some games they weren't going to win. And he, he's going to get them. He's going to get them points. You know, uh, he will. He will get Manchester United, I would say, eight to 12 points more, which is a lot. It's a lot of points. Is it going to be enough to overhaul a Manchester City, a Chelsea or a Liverpool? Don't know. But having him at the club it is absolutely huge. And I think it's. um. It's a silly, it's a silly comparison because they're obviously different levels of player. But at the start of last season, um, Tottenham had, had a really poor start to the season, and Gareth Bale came back. The similarities are he was great at Tottenham. He went away to do whatever he did, and and then suddenly he just appeared back unexpectedly. The buzz that gave Tottenham for the next however long, even though he wasn't playing himself, even though he wasn't, he wasn't turning in 90 minutes, even though he wasn't scoring goals, the buzz that gave the club and the players around him was absolutely huge. And it had Tottenham top of the league in November when they had no right to be there because of that. Okay. And then it, it crumbled and it fell apart and the, 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 the excitement wore off and then things start to plateau downwards. Manchester United have other players around who can, um, who can pick that up. And in terms of Greenwood and Rashford's development, that's when it comes in. That's when it comes in. There's going to be times where they're going to be needed. We've been here with Rashford before. I was very critical when, when Ibrahimovic signed um, 
under Mourinho at that time. And I, I, Rashford was just breaking through at that point. And um, I said, then, well, what does that mean for his development? What does that mean? He, he's, he's a young kid now. He's just broken into the team. Actually, now, four years later, we're talking about again with the same player. The answer is he he's developed. He's he's at the place he's going to be. For what it's worth, I don't think he's a particularly fantastic player, Marcus Rashford. I think he's all right. Um, but it's the same with Marcus Greenwood. Uh, if these players are good enough, their development won't anyway. be hampered one bit. If these players are really good enough, because they are going to get minutes, they are gonna they are gonna play games. They are gonna be subbed off, and Man United aren't in a place where um, Cristiano Ronaldo needs to play ninety four minutes of every single game. You know there are gonna be there are gonna be times where actually what develops forwards is scoring goals and breeding them confidence. And Rash, Rashford has, 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 has scored enough in his career already. I think um, Greenwood is, is I think he's close to like forty goals for Manchester United already across all competitions. So. I'm not particularly worried. And I think even even coming off the bench after 65 minutes with a game that's already won and chipping in a goal, you know, for a player of that age, is I don't see any 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 drama whatsoever. I think if any other team could have got Cristiano Ronaldo up front, they'd have, they'd have done it. The fact he's played for the club before creates that even bigger buzz, far bigger than if he had joined Man City, yeah. if, he had jo- if he had joined Chelsea. And... It's an absolute no-brainer. I mean, the fact he scored two goals yesterday, I'm, 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 I'm not fussed about that. Really, it's, I actually lip read Woodman say "Welcome back" um, as the first goal hit the net. To be honest, it's absolutely <laughs> shambles, absolute shambles of a goalkeeper. But I don't expect he's going to score two goals every week. I, I think people are uh, be far too carried away. A realistic expectation of him, and, and Lavi's view on this, as you would have seen, is is the same. If he chips in with 15, 16 goals. That's been a really, really good season. Yeah. If he if he keeps Manchester United in around the top three, he's been worth it. If people are expecting that he's going to turn up and win the league at the age of thirty six, absolute bonkers. If he does, it won't just be down to him. It'll be down to the systematic additions that Man United have added over the last three or four years. You know, with with Fernandez, with obviously Pogba. Four, but it's probably five years ago. Pogba came back. I can't remember, but. Whether we like him or not, they've added an 80 million centre half. Um, they've strengthened in areas and they've built a team over a period of time. It won't just be because Ronaldo's come back, but if he does tip them over the edge, then obviously it's it's um we it's going to um well not that it needs to. But it's going to underline what a special, special, special footballer um, we're talking about. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think he'll probably uh, end up managing the team at certain points as well because he's a far stronger character than uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. When when Henri Henri come back to Arsenal at the time, it didn't didn't even make perfect sense at that time. This Ronaldo coming back to Man United now makes much more sense than that did. But I'd be amazed at that point if if anyone listening to this pod now or any Arsenal fan said, well, it's going to... It's going to um, hamper the development of uh, whoever it was that week, Nicholas Bentner. Yeah, like, so, <laughs> like at the end of the day, with the greatest respect to um, Marcus uh, Rashford, Greenwood, with the greatest respect to those players, if it does hamper your development to that degree, would well, you know what? I don't care. I don't yeah. care. And also as well, if you can't learn something from Cristiano Ronaldo as a young up-and-coming striker then what are you doing with yourself? Like that, that's, you know, you've got the opportunity to, to, to learn 
and train alongside every single day one of the greatest players of all time. So you should be welcoming that and you should be trying to take as much from it as you possibly can. Right. We are going to take some of your questions from the live chat box. So start popping them in. Uh, There's plenty of you there. There's over 250 of you currently watching us live right now across the multiple platforms. Just another quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Dan, while people are putting their questions in the chat box, you are back on Twitter. How can people follow you? What's the handle? Yeah, I, I have returned. I've returned to, to to Twitter. I've not built up my follower base yet or followed anyone. And but I, I'm back on Twitter um, um getting into arguments with everybody. So it is at here's DDL, no apostrophe, just H E R E S D D L. And um that's where I hide. Um Arsenal fan followers are absolutely welcome as long as we can have a bit of a as long as we have a bit of friendly bants, that's um, that's all. And, and, and there will be bants. He literally replies to every tweet from. Yeah, like, he's just there. I, I see him all the time. He's just there, like throwing that fishing rod out there, trying to see what he can catch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, give him a follow. Make sure you do. Uh, also, uh, big hello to Mohammed in the chat, who says, uh, "Harry, mate, please prolong today's chat. I need to stay up till three a.m. And you're the best company, mate." Thank you very much, Mohammed. But I can assure you, I'm not going to be staying up till 3 a.m. on the stream. Uh, got got a lot of work on tomorrow, so I'll be uh, trying to catch uh, some Z's after this show uh, finishes. But uh, thank you, mate. Hope you're enjoying the stream so far. Uh, Alex asks, Dan, what are your thoughts on whether Harry Kane will be weaker under Nuno compared to previous seasons and managers? Good question, that. Yeah, it's quite a hard question, actually, Alex. Um, it's similar to what I was saying to Aubameyang at the beginning of the show. If Harry Kane, if Harry Kane is weaker this season, how am I going to work out why that is? Is it because of Nuno? Is it because of he's sulking because he didn't get his move? Is it because he's older? As a player, he's absolutely brilliant. I don't care what anyone says. I'll defend his ability to the end. But he's not what I would call an athletic footballer. He's not going to be returning to Tottenham at the age of 36 and scoring two goals on his debut. He's not He's not that sort of player. So um, I think... Can he counter 36, do you reckon? Uh, he can, whether he covers every number between one and 35 to get there, I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure he gets to 36. Um, but I would say, I think, to answer your question, Alex, I think Harry Kane will be weaker this season. Um, why that's going to be, whether it's the change of role, um, getting found out in that role um, and not being able to contribute both assists and goals or the fact that the squad behind him is weaker. Um, Nuno not necessarily inspiring him. It, there's a whole host of things that says to me, Harry Kane isn't going to score 22 league goals this season um, and however many assists it was. But yeah, whether that's solely because of Nuno, I don't want to I don't want to be as harsh as to, as to say the appointment of Nuno is going to be the catalyst for that. Yeah. No, I agree. It's too early as well, I think, to say, uh, if we're being honest. Uh, moving on, Jovan says, uh, Zaha to Arsenal in January. What would be your thoughts on Zaha, Oba and Pepe? I think the, the Wilfred Zaha to Arsenal ship has sailed. It's sailed. It's crashed into an iceberg. It's sunk. All of that. It's gone. Wilfred Zaha is not joining Arsenal. We didn't do it when Unai Emery was at the club and he was massively uh, up for that. He really wanted it to happen. Arsenal were unwilling to meet Palace's valuation and having spent what we've just spent in the transfer market this summer 
and looking at the kind of areas in which we probably still need to improve, which for me is still the centre of midfield. I don't think you can go and, and break the bank and bring Wilfred Zaha in. And, and equally as well, you know, Crystal Palace are, as we mentioned, embarking on this new project under Patrick Vieira. Why would they want to lose Wilfred Zaha, which means they will demand top dollar and which makes this a really, really difficult deal to get done. So I'd have liked to have seen him come to the club a couple of seasons ago. Um, I wasn't in favour, though, of paying the 70, 80 odd million pounds that Palace were demanding at the time. Having said that, I wasn't in favour of paying that for Nicolas Pepe either. But, you know, I, I did feel that price was slightly overblown. I'm sure it's come down a bit now because of his contract, because of the fact he's a, a couple of years older. But I just don't see it. I, I really don't. So uh, I don't know what you think, Dan, but I think that ship sailed. Yeah, I, I, I... <laughs> apart from Zaha, I think the only other player in the world I was expecting to see at the end of this was Julian Draxler. I mean, how many how many years <laughs> were you linked with him? How many years were you linked with him in a row? Um, but yeah, I think the ship is out. I think with, with Zaha, Palace's valuation of him is always going to be higher than a top five club's valuation of him. And what will end up happening to Zaha is he'll go to somewhere like Everton um, for a price that every Arsenal fan will say, well, if he's only 25 million, why didn't we buy him? The reason you're not going to buy him is because when you knock, it won't be 25 million. It'll be 45 million and it'll never be worth that. It'll never be worth that. So no, I can't see, um, I can't see that happening in Jan, in, in, um, in January, Joe Van, although thoughts on Zaha, Alba, Pepe, if that was a three, it works for me. It's, it's a, it'd be a, it'd be a pretty solid free with um with um a lot of a uh, well a lot of options and a lot of pace from from all angles and through the middle and it'd be um it'd be a, a pretty formidable trio to um to contend with for sure. One second. Hold on a second. Am I back? Can you hear me, DD? back. Yep. Hold on. Yep, I'm back. I don't know what keeps happening. I've got this adapter um that i plug my microphone into and now and again it just goes off i don't know what it, what's up with it um but i'm back now can you you, you can hear me ddl right yeah we can hear you we okay. never lost you all right good okay cool we're good it come up on my screen your mic has been unplugged in the middle of a bloody live stream and i haven't touched anything really frustrating i need to buy a new adapter maybe it's maybe it's knackered uh, let's see what else we've got. Joe says, uh, even with better performances, I'm still very concerned at the lack of goals from midfield. Do you see this improving over the season? Listen, I don't expect Arsenal to score lots of goals from the centre of midfield. Thomas Partey's yet to score one for the club. Um, I know he's missed a lot of football, but he's yet to score one. So I'm not banking on him necessarily to bring in a ton. I'm not banking on... Sambi Lakonga to do that. I think the key for Arsenal is you need to see more goals from Saka, Smith Rowe, from Odegaard. That's where you need to see more goals from because Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang all delivered in terms of goals last season. You've got to say, you know, Nicolas Pepe, I think it was 16 in all competitions. Aubameyang, it was 18, I think. Lacazette uh, was one more, 19, I think. Off This is off the top of my head. But they were all, you know, quite strong contributors. It was that... Saka only managed five or six last season in the Premier League, which is less than Henrik Mkhitaryan managed under Unai Emery. There's a fact for you. So for me, um, you know, I think the goals need to come from those wide forwards, the the attacking midfield players. I'm not necessarily banking on, on the likes of Partey or Lokonga to chip in with goals or Xhaka 
or El Nenny, whoever it might be that plays in those positions. So I think we need to extract a little bit more from some of those forwards. And this is why I keep saying on this podcast, and I keep getting criticised for it, that I think going into this season, relying on Saka, Smith-Rowe, et cetera, et cetera, as bright and as exciting as they are as young prospects and, and our own academy products, going into the season, relying on them to lift their output level so dramatically I think is a big, big risk. Uh, Dan, what's your view on that from the outside looking in? Yeah, there's, there's not, there's not ten goals. There's not ten. I, I don't, I don't get sucked into this all competitions nonsense. I, I'm not interested. If you're talking to me about goals, I want to see league goals. That's, that's, that's all. That's all I'm worried about. I don't see double figures um, behind behind the Bamiyang and and Lacazette, which which is obviously a concern against the better sides where they will restrict the ball into, into those players. Um, and when you look at the, the competitors, there, there are goals there. Fernandez is going to score a hatful, um, not just penalties. He, he's going to score, he's going to score a hatful of goals. Man Probably City. won't be allowed to take him anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, there'll be something <laughs> in the, there'll be something in the contract, won't there? So maybe he'll be back down to maybe three a season. Um, so yeah, good point. Um, Man City can take their pick. Obviously e- even Liverpool, they, I guess I would say if I look at Arsenal and the players you just you discussed there, Liverpool's midfielders play more as an attacking three, whereas Arsenal's supporting players seem to be a little bit deeper. So I don't see them in the box as much. I don't see you look at Matt Mane. Mane in turn positionally, I'm not talking about ability, but positionally, Mane and Saka are the comparator, aren't they? Or Mane and yeah, Mane. I guess so. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're wide at a vocal point and they come in to contribute. You look how many times Mane gets in the box to contribute versus how many times Pepe and Saka will, and there is the problem. How do you get these guys to support the attack more often so that Saka's five, even if it becomes eight or nine? You know, if those if those extra four or one a game, that's that's you know that could be the difference between you know three th- three draws and you know there's there's six there's six to eight points in there to be won. How tactically do 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 Arsenal get those players forward in a similar way that Hugh Son is able to do it for Tottenham? Um, Raheem Sterling was able to do it for Manchester City all those all those years. Bamiyang as a, as a striker is good enough to occupy enough of the defence's time to allow these players to get forward. So I think for me it's more of a tactical thing than than an ability thing. Um, especially at the beginning of of last season, Saka was. Um, you know, he he was he wasn't giving the impression he couldn't finish a ball. You know, you look at Adama Traore. He it, can't doesn't finish. matter. Exactly, he does. You know, the geezer. Um, am I allowed to swear on his show? He, yeah, he you can say you are. Yeah, the guy. I, I I'd be amazed if he finishes a wank. Like I'm not being disrespectful <laughs> to him, but he. <clears throat> you know, and I'm. So you take. Yeah, I'm not looking at Saka or Pepe. I mean, Pepe sometimes tries to score the perfect goal and get it as close to the post as possible, and that would frustrate me. Just fucking score, mate. Um. But I don't see a lack of ability there. It's more how do we get these players in? I think it's I think it's a tactical thing in Arsenal's um in Arsenal's case. And maybe that comes with maybe that comes with confidence. Maybe that comes with controlling the game more. Maybe some of the better midfielders, if Partey starts to play, and having the ball higher up the pitch allows that. Which I think is what Mikel Arteta is trying to do. When I listen to him, I think he's trying to have the ball higher up the pitch so that he can play and get more of his attacking players further up but in reality it's still not quite there does that make sense yeah. I, I think it's a tactical a tactical thing more so than a 
yeah I, mikey makes a really good point in the chat he talks about when you, you're talking about liverpool he, he put this comment in there uh it's the high press and naturally if you do press further up the pitch you're going to win the ball back more in those areas and therefore you know you're not relying on the build-up play so i do think that that is a, a key point you know Mane and salah for example will win the ball back high up the pitch so quickly and and when liverpool win it that little bit deeper they get the ball up to them so quickly and i think one of the positives I saw from Arsenal yesterday was the high press. It was so much more aggressive than it's probably ever been under Mikel Arteta, I've got to say. And we have know he's talked about it in the past, but we've never really seen it come to fruition. And although it was Norwich and although it was just a 1-0 win, that was like the biggest encouragement I, talked, uh, I took away from that game. And I, I talked about it at length in the tactical analysis podcast that we put out early on today. So check it out. There's some graphics, some screenshots, etc., to kind of back up those points. So uh, check it out if you haven't done so already. I think the bit about Arsenal for me that I was most impressed with on on Saturday was the way they come out for the second half. Mm. Because it would have been very easy with all the negative publicity. And we've seen good teams lose games or lose points that they shouldn't when they're when they're going through a tough period. I expected Arsenal to do well. I thought they'd win by more before the game. They didn't. But it wasn't because of the performance that they didn't win by more. It wasn't because of the way they set about. And it would have been easy at half-time, nil-nil, not scored again, to come out and not display that same level of intensity. Um, I know if it's one-nil, something can always happen. And when you're in a bad run, you get a bit nervous. And Timo Pukki had a half-chance right at the end, didn't he? Which... I mean, let's be fair, yeah. he was probably he was probably never going to score. But it's a half chance. But when you're watching that and you're in a bad run, that feels like a massive chance. Do you know what I mean? You, you just feel like that's going to go in. The, and and there was someone there ready to make that block. There was no one switching off. Everyone was focused. They knew how important it was to get that win. And they didn't let their um they didn't let their energy levels drop off at any point in the game. And I think that was the most impressive, impressive thing about Arsenal's display. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, great points. Uh, we'll take this final question from Julian, who says, would we be able to sustain that high energy style with Xhaka in the team? My answer, Julian, is no, um, if I'm being completely honest. And during the summer, people were saying to me, do you want to see Granite Xhaka go? And my my viewpoint was, well, if he's going, he's going, let him go. I, I feel like it's it's at the point, Granite Xhaka and Arsenal, where the relationship just needs to be broken. The fans can't stand him. Every little mistake he makes gets magnified and blown out of proportion. Equally, when he plays half well, people go over the top because they're trying to compensate again or, or kind of trying to make their point to those that are so anti-Granite Xhaka that it's, it's always one extreme or the other. It drives me absolutely crazy. And when we signed him up on a new contract, and, and let me make this clear, okay, because people keep saying... Arsenal gave Granite Xhaka a new long-term contract. Arsenal only actually added another year onto his existing deal. Okay, so he's got another year. The issue is that, or the thing I can't get my head around is, if Mikel Arteta, in his mind, knew that eventually where he wanted to go was in a place where we press aggressively and we win the ball high up the pitch... Granite Xhaka was never going to fit that bill. Granite Xhaka was never going to be the right fit. In which case, why have you kept him? That's what I find baffling. If we were going to play or start the season the way we finished last season, which was 
with a 4-2-3-1 formation, with Granit Xhaka being the man tasked with dropping into the back line when Kieran Tierney bombs forward and being that kind of go between the back line and the centre of midfield, then fine. I think that suits him quite well. And I think that's actually why he probably had his best season in an Arsenal shirt last time out. But he just doesn't fit the bill if you're going to be pressing teams high up the pitch. So I'm going to be interested to see if Xhaka can adapt if we play slightly differently when Jacka is in the team, or if this is going to be a complete and utter car crash, but it's a, it's a really good question, Julian. Um, so uh, thank you for putting that in. Uh, there was someone in the chat box earlier on uh, with a beautiful comment. Uh, I can't remember where it was. Um, here he goes. Uh, e clap 78. Simi is the most deluded person on this planet. I may well be the most deluded person on this planet, but the fact that you on your Sunday night are watching me, says more about you than me anyway oh uh, dear that's a that's a, <laughs> that's a that's a fight back there um, it is i'm getting i'm getting i'm getting i'm gonna do it now to people i'm just gonna dig them out i'm gonna ignore them where where i feel like it and i'm gonna dig them out when they deserve it because uh it's all turned a little bit toxic on the internet lately and 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 you know oh, the, you know the worst thing is ddl when you when you do something like this and you 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 put your opinions out you you put your opinions out because you are confident in yourself, right? And you've got balls to do it because you know that whatever you say, there will be someone out there that disagrees with you. And that's absolutely fine. What winds me up is people that would say stuff on the internet to you that you know they would never say to your face. And they would never come up to you in a football ground and say what they say behind their keyboard to your face. If they do, I'd have a lot more respect for them. Um, yeah, I think you know, the 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 the, key, the keyboard war the keyboard keyboard warriors will always um be be prominent, and, and I guess there's, there's always from time to time where we might slip into that, hopefully a bit more respectfully. But what I say to that trap or anyone else listening or anyone else who does add my Twitter handle, what I'd say is <laughs> what I'd say is I'll tell you what I think, and I'll explain it to you if you ask. If you want, if I want to say. For example, let me pick something ridiculous. If I want to say Pierre Mkhabamiang is rubbish, which sounds outrageous, I'll let, if you want to challenge and I'll explain it, and if you then disagree with my explanation, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. Or if you come up with a better explanation that tells me where I'm wrong, I'll say, Do you know what, that's a good point. But if you're going to come up there and say so and so is deluded, then explain why in 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 simple in simple language so we can all understand what you're thinking, and then you can have a proper then you can have a proper debate, which is what podcasts like this are all about. It's why I come on them. I want to hear people's views. I want to hear what you got to say. I want to, you know, if you think Harry Kane's useless, I want you to tell me why, you know, because we can all say Harry Kane's useless. That's, that's easy. Like yeah, my mom, exactly. My, my mum could write that. Now tell me why and explain it to me. And, and yeah, I do think it's all too easy just to throw a cheap little drive out there, but back that's it up. It. And back you, it up. Let's hear it. You know what as well? And, and look, and this is, this is another classic case, right? Is it your opinion though? As if to say, so there's this, and uh, you've probably seen it on, on Twitter, DDL, it's worth uh, just chatting about for a few minutes at the end. I had a couple of DMs from people recently, right, telling me, and, and this is word for word, one I got today, right? Hold on a second, let me just open it. I've heard on good authority that you are really close to getting your accreditation, therefore you won't slag off the club. What nonsense is that? What is this good authority that I haven't even heard from that people who watch the podcast have heard from that tells them that I'm close to getting my, 
I'm already accredited. I don't need to, to so, change what like that, it, it doesn't make sense. It's just I think what I say to that is what I say to that as well, and I've I've written bits for various people and jumped on a few podcasts over over the years, long long before I met met you, Harry. If you're if you're accredited in anything, it is a recognition that you are good at what you do. So you you are allowed to slag off a club or a or a body if you're accredited. What's different is you do it in a professional way because you have the ability to articulate your views in a way that is suitable to the audience. That's yeah. why that's why you hear some journalists who they will they will piss you off, right? But they can say what they like and they say what they like and they put it in a way that that is suitable for that audience. So I'd have no fear whatsoever for those who like hearing Harry give his views and slag the club off. And there's probably less of you like to hear mine and understand that. Um, but for those who like that, I wouldn't be fearful that if Harry ever does get his accreditation, that, that that will subside. It just means he's good enough to do it in a way that is that is suitable. And um, who's Arsenal's main press guy? So like Spurs have Alistair Gold who goes there. Mm. You know, do I think much of him is irrelevant? The fact is he, he's that guy and he's got his accreditation to do that. He will criticise a club in a way that is that is suitable that the club don't knock on his door and say, oh, you're not coming back here anymore. Yeah, and, and I've, I've answered this question a, a few times. Here we go. I think I'm back. Don't know what happened there. I think the connection uh, just uh, just dipped off. I'm sure uh, Dan will be back in a second. But yeah, just carrying on um, on that discussion and on that debate. I don't know what happened there. I think the connection uh, just dropped off. Here he is. Dan, you're back. I think that was the connection at my end that just dropped off. I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought I'd reach anyway, charge. Don't worry. Um, yeah, the point I was making is that a lot of people have said to me over the summer when we've been... Um, when we've been talking about certain things around the Arsenal, you know, why is it that journalists, when they go to press conferences, don't get up and, and really kind of hammer into the manager and and don't do it in a disrespectful way and, and really try and rattle them? And, and as I was saying, like previously, these people's livelihoods depend on getting the information that they do from the clubs. Breaking So Alistair Gold, your example there for Tottenham, when Tottenham want to brief the press for something, they will go to Alistair Gold and they will say, Alistair, you know, we're going to leak this to you. This is the information. Go and report it. Okay. Now, if you're a more traditional journalist where your job is about breaking the news first, getting inside information, then you have to be careful because you're only as good as the information you get. And if that information supply line is cut off, then you are nothing and you will not be, I'm not saying you're nothing. That's harsh. Not to say that they're not good at what they do, but that obviously takes a massive thing away from what it is they do and why they have the kind of reputation they do. In my case, I, I that's not me. You're not going to go online and find breaking news from Harry Simeon. No, I talk about the club. I analyze things to do with the club and I put out content and articles, et cetera, et cetera, off the back of that. So for me, it's easier to be critical than it is for some of those people. But just because my opinions are not the same as everybody in the live chat, it doesn't mean that I don't respect your opinions. And it doesn't mean that I don't see the other side to an argument as well. But if you want me to sit and lie on the camera so that it makes me sound like I'm more critical of the club, 
it, it, it's crazy, you know, because because that's not what I'm going to do. That's not what this channel or this podcast or, or any of it's been built on. So for me to go down that route now and be really reactionary, if I was really over the top, I guarantee you this channel would have more subscribers on YouTube than it currently does. But for me, it's about quality, not quantity in terms of the audience. I love the fact that we've got a really good, respectful audience for the most part. In the last few weeks, it's changed a little bit. Not Obviously, the great people are still there, but we've seen a little bit more of that kind of digging each other out all the time and, and sort of going at one another in the chat box. And it's actually really got to me to see some of our listeners just being unable to show basic respect to their fellow listeners in the chat box and to anyone that comes on the show just because they sometimes disagree with their opinions you know and and I'll, i do want to ask a question um in the chat box because when i said about that thing about you know they'd heard on good authority uh that i'm you know i'm waiting for my accreditation blah 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 which i already have let's let's be clear about that um who is it that said that and and did this person because there's a name being thrown in the chat did this person actually word for word say that and name me because if they did tell me i'm going to take it up with them it's no problem it's not no drama for me uh but anyway um the the other the other point on this whole social media thing and and the keyboard warrior thing dan just to to wrap up is do you think there's a danger that we as people in our our mid 30s if we go around acting like this on social media if we talk to people like crap because we're behind the keyboard and we don't fear any consequences is there a danger that we're telling the younger generations that this is actually acceptable it's acceptable to talk to people like that and the more we do it and the more we let it go without calling it out that it's going to creep into society to the point where people are actually on the street going to start talking to each other like that. Yeah, I think um, there is. I mean, there's. I'm going to be careful here not to be completely hypocritical because there are times where I've conducted myself in conversation um, inappropriately. I'm not talking about abusing people. I'm not talking about abusing people racially or, or sexist or, or anything like that. But sometimes you get sucked into that level and i guess that's the first step to what to what you're talking about i think the biggest danger is the biggest danger is and i've experienced this a bit before and i've i've left twitter before um and like like you said earlier i've come back on it the biggest danger you'll have is you'll stop enjoying football yeah you'll stop you will stop enjoying watching arsenal because Actually, the game's already moved on, and that might be a good thing. We're doing this now. It's like, you know, half past 10. Your man wants us on till three in the morning. And I think if I didn't have to wake up in the morning, I'd sit and talk to him. No problem. But the game's moved on from a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday afternoon. You're out of the house for two hours. You go and watch your local team. You're back home by six because you live around the corner. Football is now the game before it. You're in a bad mood for the rest of the night. You're pissed off the next day. You've got someone giving you banter at work on a Monday morning when, quite frankly, you've got other stuff to worry about. Um, you get people telling you your, your club haven't won a trophy in the middle of October. And it's like, well, th there's been no trophies this season. Like, give me a couple of months off. And you'll stop enjoying. You'll stop enjoying the experience of supporting the club. That's, that's, that's the danger. And I think the brilliance of social media... Um, I think Twitter was invented by Rio Ferdinand. I'm sure it was. But the brilliance of social media is it gives you the opportunity to discuss something with someone. 
And I completely get that. You're more likely to enter a discussion if you disagree, because it'd be quite boring if someone wrote something and you wrote, yeah, I agree. Next tweet. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. But there are too many people who pretend they know stuff or they pretend they've seen stuff or they pretend they understand stuff. And I think if you can just put your view across like you do on this show, and I'm not going to fucking crawl up your ass because I don't need to. When I disagree with you, you know you fucking hear it from me. But if you can put your view across and explain it, that's all that's required. That's all that's required. And if someone doesn't agree, then that's perfectly fine and acceptable. But I do think there are some matches, there are some occasions. I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy the North London derby as much as I used to. I don't, I don't enjoy it as much as I did 10 years ago because it's just like six days either side of hassle. And I just think the most important thing, you you enjoy the club, you enjoy you enjoy the people you sit next to, you enjoy the people you talk yep. to about it. And and finding ways to put your view across respectfully is going to help with that massively. That's yeah. me. That's 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 me. Start. I'll stop preaching to everyone now because no one asked for that. <laughs> but but that's my view. No, no, and and great points. And and look, there are a lot of people in the chat that say you know ignore it and you know filter it out, and it's not, um, you know, it's not worth engaging with. And you know what? For for about two years, I found it really easy to block it out. I did. Um, you know, I found it really really easy as the platforms grown, as the shows grown, as twitter followings grown etc etc i found myself especially during lockdown because we didn't really have much else going on struggling a little bit to deal with it not struggling to deal with those people that that tweet you for no reason and say you know you're a moron or whatever but when it's people that you know and they're so you know if if it is true what what a couple of people have said in the chat is someone i know and it's like you know you know that what you're saying is not true. So why are you saying it? Why don't you just pick up the phone and, and, and message me or call me? Um, you've got my number. You don't need to make up this story about accreditations and God knows what else. So it, it, uh, it does frustrate me more when it's people that know you and then to kind of find out that those people, whether you think they're an idiot or not, don't have the basic respect for you to at least talk to you properly or, you know, or to not make backhanded comments. That's the bit that, that I think winds me up. Um, but yeah, I, I do fear that the way we're going, we're going to get to a place eventually where because people have been brave online, they're going to think that translates into the roads, uh, you know, or into the streets. And you're going to walk up to someone in the street and talk to them like you would behind your keyboard. And you're going to get your lights punched out, to be honest. That's the problem, isn't it? And um, I, I know for me, you know, you're a dad as well, Dan. It's something that I'll definitely be making sure does not happen like <laughs> yeah it's a, up, it, it, is a mo- it is a modern worry but i, I do yeah. think just enjoy in enjoying the team and enjoying your supporting the supporting the club you support is the most important thing 100%. and i think i think it's brilliant to win stuff and it's uh, i mean if you're if you lose and you're not upset then i think you've got problems as a person more than a football fan because clearly you want to but you need to limit that disappointment and i did see because of because I follow your podcast, most of the things that cover my timeline are Arsenal related, which is frustrating because it means I end up disagreeing with Arsenal fans <laughs> loads throughout my day. But but the amount of things I saw at the weekend, um, which was, oh, it's like, calm down, it's only Norwich. Oh, it was only 1-0. It's like, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to... Or like my favourite one on a Spurs fan, it'd be like saying, as a Spurs fan, something could happen. It'd be like, oh, yeah, well, 
uh, I was talking about the Champions League semi-final the other day, and the guy was like, "Oh well, we lost the final, so so why why are we still why are we?" It's like, well, so do you want me to? We're not going to win the league this season, so are you telling me I should not celebrate a goal? Let's go that literal. We're not going to win the league, so every goal, every every unless unless obviously we're in a relegation battle and he's keeping us up, but you know every goal we score after we've hit thirty eight points, I'm not going to celebrate it because we're not going to win the league. What is the point? What is the point of supporting the team that day? What is the point of going? What, exactly. What, what's the point? The point. Find the point of you going. Remember what that is, and just just enjoy it. Because if you're going to be angry if you draw to Norwich, you're going to be angry if you lose to Norwich. If you can't be happy when you beat Norwich, then what what was the point of investing any time into that hour and a half whatsoever? Oh, I couldn't understand that. That's the that's the thing that I've been banging on about over the last few weeks is it's like people want to be outraged, people want to be disappointed, people want to be pissed off. And if you don't if you don't enjoy the good moments in football, what the hell is the point in supporting a football team? I just I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, the other the other day, I know we're running over massively, but the other day there was that that once in a lifetime sliding doors where Spurs were top of the league and Arsenal were bottom of the league, and I posted the league table because it looked quite mm. nice. And some guy was like oh, you never win anything, so what's the point? I was like, well, if I never win anything, then it's even more reason for me to be happy now, isn't it? Yeah, Because I'm not going to win anything. I'm not going to win a trophy. So this is it. This is my time. And equally, equally, if it were the other way around, every Arsenal fan would be posting the table as well. So it's just part and parcel of football. It's just part and parcel of it. Even more so, if you're not going to win the league this season, which I don't, you know, breaking news, Arsenal aren't going to win the league this season. You might might win an FA Cup because there's a bit of bit of recent pedigree there. You're not going to win the European Cup and the League Cup. I doubt that'll happen because Man City normally win that with their C team. So <laughs> you're not going to win the league this season. So enjoy the wins more. Yeah. Because that's it. That's all it's going to come down to. Enjoy enjoy the home wins against Norwich on a bright Sunday afternoon because if you don't enjoy that, then you may as well take the year off. Yeah. Exactly. You may, as well not, you may as well not go. You may as well not waste your time. You may as well not waste your money. Simple as that. Right. We are going to leave it there. Fantastic show, Dan. Thank you so much for coming back on, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Great chat there at the end as well. Um, big thank you to everybody in the comments because it was really popping off, really interactive, which was great. So thank you all. Uh, so much for your participation just a quick reminder once more for the third and final time i promise if you haven't done so already make sure you hit the like button subscribe to the channel if you're new if you're listening via the audio platforms please leave us a review and we shall be back very very soon with some more arsenal content joining me on monday night are dan potts lee judges graham mark the same old arsenal guys are joining me here 8 p.m. We're going to be live. Uh, that's UK time, so we'll be going out. We've also got our Arsenal women's podcast with the brilliant Casey Bourne uh, coming out tomorrow as well. So plenty of content coming your way over the next 24 hours. Get involved. Turn your notifications on. You know the drill by now. Give DDL a follow at Here's DDL on Twitter, and I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.